Happy Father's Day. It's good to see you guys here today. We are in a sermon series uh, entitled Messy. And what we're doing is, is we're going through the entire book of 1 Corinthians. And so if you've got your Bibles today, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll be there in just a minute. Uh, dads in the room, by show of hands, how many of you dads have ever had an awkward conversation with one of your kids? Any dads? <laughs> that was quick. Uh, you guys are alert and alive today. Somebody read chapter seven and you're excited to be here. Um, you know, one of the most awkward five minutes of my entire life was when I was, uh, I think I was almost 13 years old and uh, my dad said, hey, Trent, I need you to come in the living room. We need to talk. And you know, when that happens as a kid, you know, this is not gonna be good, whatever it is. And I walked in there and dad sat me down and, and he started to, talk and he started to kind of stutter a little bit. Now, my dad is a pastor and he spoke for a living right in front of thousands of people every week. And so talking for dad was not an issue, but for whatever reasons with this conversation in particular, he was, he was struggling to find the words, right? And, and he was blushing and he was stuttering. And the reason is because he was having the sex talk with me. And I remember just that feeling of just, is this ever going to stop? Is this going to end? This needs to stop now. Um, and I was racking my brain to like really remember what he actually talked about. But really the only thing I can remember is the awkwardness. And secondly, I remember two words, two words out of the entire you know, a uh, conversation that he had. I'm sure he thought about it. He prayed about it. My dad is a, an amazing dad, by the way. Like he, he, A for effort on this, this particular conversation, but it was rough. <laughs> and, and so I remember these two words. These two words are still in my brain today. And the two words that I can remember are this, fallopium tube. I'm 45 years old, been married 22 years. I still don't know what a fallopium tube is, <laughs> nor do I care. <laughs> don't find me in the hallway today. There's a doctor in the room. Well, actually, Trina, no, don't want to know. Don't email me pictures. <laughs> I got four kids. I figured it out. <laughs> um, you know, I think fathers... As dads, we have a lot of awkward conversations as dads. We try, right? But nobody taught us how to do this and we try our best and, and uh, we're gonna have you know, these uh, awkward conversations with our kids. And really today's message is kind of an awkward message to be honest with you. Uh, if you read ahead in the chapter, you know what today is about. And um, you know, it's, I'm gonna do my best to make it not awkward. And uh, I want it to be helpful. And uh, if you're a kid and you're here with your parents, it's going to be a little awkward, all right? And, and, and that's okay because one of the things that's great about the Bible is that the Bible answers hard questions. The Bible speaks to hard issues in our life. And, and when we look to the Word of God and when we actually uh, apply it and understand it correctly, it changes our life. And what's interesting about the Bible is pretty much every natural instinct that we have and that culture has is the wrong instinct <laughs> because of sin in our life. It's the wrong uh, thing. And, and when we look to the scripture, it sets us straight and, and, and shows us what's going to bring us life, what's going to bring us happiness. And so 
we want to remember that in the city of Corinth, they were very sexually, um, our culture would say free, but they were very sexually um, immoral. And it was very common to go sleep with prostitutes at the temple of Aphrodite. It was very common for married people to have affairs. It was common for married people, uh, men to have mistresses. It was common for this uh, uh, sexual immorality to happen, you know, even before marriage. And so it was rampant. It was everywhere. It was accepted. And so when the church of Jesus Christ is formed here in Corinth, they're, they're bringing their old uh, philosophies and their old uh, habits into their faith, just like you and me. Old ways of thinking and cultural ways of thinking, popular ways of thinking. And they're bringing all of that into the church. And so they actually wrote Paul a letter. And in chapter seven, uh, verse one, uh, Paul says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. So they actually wrote a letter to Paul. And, and because of the sexual you know, revolution you know, that was happening and all the immorality, they had some questions of like, look, we need to figure this out, Paul. And, and so he responds to their questions beginning in chapter seven. And so I wanna do it a little bit different today. I wanna kind of give you a summary of the whole chapter and then kind of come back and focus on the first five verses today. But the, the, the summary is this. In, in verses one through seven, Paul's talking to married couples and there were some married couples in the church that thought, well, you know, sex is bad even in marriage. And so the, the thing that God wants and that's holy is that we would abstain from sex altogether, even in marriage. And Paul's going to tell us, we're going to look at this in the first five verses and, and he's going to say, no, 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 you've got it all wrong. That's the exact opposite of what you should be doing. And so we'll talk about that. In verses eight to nine, he talks to those who are widows or to those who are unmarried. And he says, if you're unmarried, stay single. That is great to be single. It's a gift from God to be single. However, if you burn with sexual strong desire, he said, then you should be looking for a spouse. And so if you are single today, if you are a, you know, a young adult and you have a strong sexual desire, then you shouldn't be looking for a friend with benefits. You shouldn't be looking at porn. You should be looking for a spouse. And that is the way that we properly and honor God properly with our sexual desires. You see, God's plan for the greatest sex, the most fulfilling sex in life is by getting married and by learning to sacrificially love him or her, uh, dying to yourself, trying to please the other person, discovering that person and having fun with that person until death parts you. In verses 10 through 16, he says that Christians shouldn't get a divorce. And so if you're married today and you think, man, you know what would solve all of my problems? It would just be a game changer if I just got a divorce. That would pretty much solve everything. Then the scripture would say you're entirely wrong. In fact, divorce only complicates your life. It complicates your, your children's life and, and it's a heavy burden for you to carry. So he says that's not the answer. However, he does say that divorce is an option in some cases. And the case that he talks about is in verse 15. And he says, if you are married to an unbeliever, and this unbeliever uh, wants to get a divorce, Paul says, let them go. You're not bound by that. Let them go. Divorce is okay in that particular situation. 
But the church was also interested in one of the questions they had for Paul was, well, well what about the, 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 the Christian who's married to an unbeliever? Um, should I, it, it's probably not a good thing for a Christian to, you know, have sex with an unbeliever, even in marriage. And Paul says, no, you got it wrong again. If you're married to an unbeliever and they want to stay with you, then great, stay with them. In fact, he says the way that you treat them in a godly way and pray for them and encourage them, that could actually lead to their faith. And so he says, don't leave them. And it's actually a good thing to enjoy sex in that relationship. So verses 17 to 24, he tells us to remain in whatever situation we find ourselves in, whatever, whatever situation, whether married or single, it doesn't matter. In whatever situation we find ourselves in, he tells us to grow spiritually, watch God grow you and do your very best to honor him in whatever relationship that you're in. If you're single, he says, don't, don't be overwhelmed with worry about finding a spouse. He says, those who are single have more time to dedicate to the Lord. You have a less complicated life. That is a good thing. Paul says, I wish everybody would be like me. He was single. At one time he had to have been married because he was a Pharisee. And so that was a requirement. But at this point, she probably passed away or maybe she left him. We actually don't know. But at this point in his life, he's single. And he says, it'd be great. Be like me. I've got way more time. It's far less complicated. However, if you, if you have a strong sexual desire, then you should be looking for a spouse. But he does warn those who are married. In verse 28, he says, those who marry will have worldly trouble. In verse 32, he says that marriage brings anxiety. And so I don't care if you don't believe in the Bible today, this is your first time in church or watching a, a sermon like this. Like you don't even have to believe in the Bible to read that and go, Paul was right on that one. <laughs> you, you could be an atheist and give an amen on that one right there, right? So whatever situation you're in today, married or single, don't worry about changing your situation. The focus in your life should be on serving the Lord where you're at. Are you single? Don't kill yourself trying to get married. Are you married? It can be great, but you're gonna have to work on it, right? And so in that work, one of the bigger pieces, one of the things that we see marriages fight over uh, the most is uh, sexuality in their marriage. Like sex in marriage is one of the, the main arguments that happen in a marriage. And so um, sex is, 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 is God's uh, way of allowing us to have kids, but also enjoy pleasure. And so it is a God thing. It is a good thing. And in verses one through five, we're going to unpack what it actually means. And so let's look at verse one in your scripture today. He says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, they wrote the letter, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. That's a good thing, right? Can be good. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her, her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, 
but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. All right, Um, you might be thinking, out of 52 weeks in the year, Trent, how did this chapter and sermon land on Father's Day? (laughs) Did you plan that? Are you telling me out of all the Sundays, you looked at Father's Day and said chapter seven? I'm not saying that, but happy Father's Day. Here's the first thing that we learn. The wives are like, oh my God, this is terrible. He says, marriage is good and it does provide sexual pleasure, right? It's good. Does it feel good all the time? It's not always good all the time, but he says marriage is good. It is good, he says, that a a husband, a, a man should find a wife. It is good that a woman should find a husband. It is a good thing. It is a, is a institution that God created for believers, right? So it is a good thing. And in the confines of marriage, he allows us to experience sexual pleasure. In verse three, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, likewise the wife to her husband. So what is a conjugal right? Well, that just simply means that a husband should do his absolute best to please his wife sexually. And a wife should do her absolute best to please her husband sexually, right? That doesn't mean that, you know, a wife has to try everything, you know, the husband wants to do it every time. And doesn't mean that he has this domineering like presence and and, and, and can be rude or can be mean or can be forceful in any way whatsoever. That is not what it means at all, but does mean that as a couple that it is important that you talk about boundaries, you talk about what is appropriate and healthy and comfortable, you talk about how often and you figure that out together as a couple and it is why it is good to be in a small group because you're not alone. You can have these conversations with your friends and figure this out and and, and get advice and get wisdom so that you are, you, you know, you're gaining this wisdom from other godly influences in your life. And so we do need to understand, right? Men need to understand that sex is not the most important thing in marriage, right? We got to realize that. But at the same time, I think it's important that women, you know, more, more, I I say women because uh, that's typically how it goes. Not always, uh, but typically the man, you know, desires that more than, than the, the, the woman. And so it's not the most important thing, but it is an important thing. And so in in a marriage, when the wife kind of shuts off the faucet and things kind of go dry in that area, then um, it's a crisis for a man. It's, it would be equivalent, ladies, uh, to if your husband was silent and emotionally absent, that would be a crisis for you, right? And so both areas are important. And one of the greatest ways that we can actually love each other is to understand that and come together in that, like men being emotionally available and men, you know, having conversations and kind conversations with their wife. And then yes, wives renewing and helping that covenant uh, sexually. You know, sex is, is spiritual before it's anything else. And it is to becoming one. It's a, it's a picture of each other meeting one another's needs and it is a blessing from God. So if a spouse is not getting his or her needs met, 
we have to realize that there's no legitimate option to turn to. Anything else would be sin. And so it is a little bit different than anything else that we might experience in a relationship because, you know, I can get some emotional needs met by friends. I can, I can get some, you know, uh, encouragement from them or some advice or wisdom from them. I can share my day with other people, you know, and so we can kind of, you know, have relationships that help us meet emotional needs and those kinds of things. But when it comes to sex, like there's no other person in the world that's able um, according to God, in order to fulfill that need other than your spouse. So it is a, a little bit more narrow. I think it's important for us to understand that. Um, I think what maybe some of you are saying is, yeah, but he's a jerk and I don't like him. And so that's, that's a reality, right? And guys have to realize that sometimes that is the biggest reason why uh, things are not going so well. But we also know that uh, our feelings follow our actions, and so when we start to act like we love each other, then feelings start to come back. And so we have to start doing what's, what we once did in order to get what we once had. Uh, I think it's, you know, we have amnesia in marriage. Oftentimes, you know, after the first few months or first, you know, year, the honeymoon phase is over and, and all of a sudden we, we forget what we once did. And we think that when we got married, we just automatically just the cosmic forces aligned. And it was like, you know, uh, it just was like this mystic, magical thing. And, and uh, it's like, no, that's not what happened. You actually enjoyed each other. You actually did stuff together that was fun. You actually had conversations together. And so those are the reasons that led to this feeling of, of, of love in our life. And so we, we have to do what we once did in order to get what we once had. And so if you're like, if you're like looking at other marriages or, you know, other people and, and your thought is the grass is greener on the other side, right? That's what I really want. Or that's, it would be better in that situation. Or I bet that person would be better than the person that I'm married to. What, what do we do when the grass is greener on the other side? Uh, I literally said this a couple weeks ago to my wife because my neighbor's yard is literally greener than my yard. <laughs> I'm a yard guy. Uh, you may not be a yard guy. You don't care about that stuff. But in this heat, the heat that we had last week and that's coming this week, if you don't water your yard, fescue specifically, then it's going to die. I mean, that's just the nature of the summer, right? If you don't water it, it's going to die. And in, in reality, if you look at your marriage and it's like, you know what? It's dying. It's dying. You know, maybe, maybe your sex life has already died. Emotionally, things are dying. What do you have to do? You, you got to water your own yard. If, if the grass looks greener on the other side, chances are, you know, you're not watering your yard enough. And so that means you've got to invest in your marriage. You've got to go back and invest in the marriage that God has given to you and enjoy that life and, and that relationship with your spouse that God blessed you with. And if you think the distance between, you know, here where, you're are, where you are today and, and where you wanna go, you gotta be reminded that with God, all things are possible. That God can take whatever brokenness you've experienced and are experiencing, and it may not be your sex life, it may be another area of your life, in your marriage that's really struggling, whatever that brokenness is, God can take that brokenness and he can actually heal it. And he can, he can actually use that to be a blessing in your family today. 
Now, how many of you who are, who are married and, and, and maybe you've lived life long enough to, to see God work in your marriage and, and, and you've seen him take some, some really bad situations, but he turned it around for your good. If, if you're married and that has happened, can I, can I hear an amen? Now, let, let's say amen and actually be thankful for God for that. Ready? Say it again. Amen. All right. Now, if you are struggling today, Right in your marriage. And, 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 and it's just like you're hanging by a thread and you don't know what to do, but it's rough. And you just heard those amens in the room. Those amens are not, hey, we figured it all out and now everything's perfect. No, what that means is everybody struggles. I do. Everybody in this room does in their marriage. And the, the, the difference is, are we going to submit ourselves to Jesus and begin to humble ourselves so that we would, we would allow God to change our heart? In a marriage so often, we just think, if she would change her heart, if he would just change his heart, if he would just change, then things would be better. Instead, the question that we often and always have to start with is, what changes do I need to make? Marriage is good and, and, and it's a source. It's, it's, it's how God provides for our sexual pleasure. But secondly, let's keep going. Married couples should be sexually available to their spouse, right? And so he says that, um, yes, we should give conjugal rights. We should meet those needs, right? But he also says in verse four, very interesting, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but her husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Verse five, do not deprive one another. So both the husband and a wife are equally responsible to meet the needs of their spouse sexually for, for, for both ways, right? Her body doesn't belong to her, it belongs to him. His body doesn't belong to him, it belongs to her. Now think about this uh, for a minute. This was written over 2000 years ago. Think about the culture in which this was written. Uh, at this time, women didn't have equal rights. Women were owned by their husband. Women uh, didn't, uh, didn't have the ability to have a say-so, essentially, right? They were degraded in so many different ways and taken advantage of. And so the gospel of Jesus Christ comes on the scene and tells women, ladies, you have authority over your husband's body. Can you imagine the, <gasps> what, what did he just say? Did you read that again? Are you kidding me? Think about that. How amazing that must have been in that church and, and, and really is really the, some of the foundational components of, of, of why women's rights even exist today is because of the gospel. No other culture, no other religion says this. Christianity is the only uh, religion that gives women equal rights and, and views men and women as equal in dig dignity equal in every single way, just simply with different roles in family and church. Another thing that would have smacked him in the face is countercultural is in verses 17, where he says, it's great to be single. Think about that in that context, everybody got married. I mean, even in traditional mindsets, even today, 
you know, your parents or your grandparents, you know, that traditional mindset, maybe in the South specifically might, might be, and, and we know this is true in those minds, like if you're not married, then you're a loser, right? And so you got to get married. Why? Because, because marriage is turned into an idol. Marriage can't be an idol. Paul says, no, 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 no. If you're married, great. If you're single, that's a gift from God. Don't, don't be worried about that. Don't let that distract you or make you feel less. No, that is a gift from God. You have way more time to, to serve God, way less complications. This is a good thing, Paul said, be like me. In secular environments, maybe more like in your bigger cities or whatever, you know, the opposite is true. And the opposite would be like, I don't want to get married. It's looked down upon. That's I don't want to, I don't want to hold myself down. And, you know, independence is the idol, right? I want to be independent. I want to climb the corporate ladder. I want to do X, Y, and Z. I don't want to be held down by a spouse or kids or anything like that. And so Paul is saying, don't make an idol out of marriage. And certainly don't make an idol out of independence. Instead, whatever situation you're in, serve God, love him, you know, do ministry, glorify him. Completely countercultural. Listen, every single culture in the world where women have rights, it is because the gospel has had influence. As soon as you tar- start taking the gospel out of a culture or watering it down, women lose their rights. It's beginning to happen in our culture. We talked a little bit about it last week, but Paul in, in, in the teaching on marriage is, is countercultural, but it leads to health and growth and it honors God. And so married couples, he says, should be sexually available, available to our spouse, right? So the greatest sex, most fulfilling sex is the only, and the only way to honor God with sex is in marriage. And so, of course, marriage is defined by God as a lifetime commitment between a man and a woman. And so, so here we go. Some of you are like, all right, I get all that, man. I'm with you 100%, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm trying to do it the right way. But I find myself in my marriage and I feel like I'm getting deprived. Our sex life just isn't great, right? It's not good. Many in that situation. There's probably a million reasons, probably a thousand different reasons we could talk about today. Let me mention a few. One reason that it might not be going well is because there's past sexual sin. And single people, listen to me. If, if you're experiencing sex before marriage, that sin is going to hurt your future marriage because it doesn't go away. It's there. And so a lot of current marriages struggle because of past sin and, and, and sexual relationships. And so um, there's emotional ties, there's bitterness, there's unforgiveness. I can't forgive myself. I can't forgive this person because of what they've done. And so that, that, that's a huge issue. And so that's why Paul says, look, you know, don't have sex before marriage because it's gonna, it's gonna bring some, a lot of complication and pain in your future relationships. Do it God's way, right? Follow God's plan. And now that you're in marriage, uh, if that's part of the issue, then you, you gotta work through that. So how do you work through it? You may need biblical counseling. Um, You've got to return back to your Christian identity, recognizing that the old is gone, right? God forgives. There's a new creation. And so there's a lot of forgiveness that has to take place there and walking and stepping into your new identity. That takes time. It takes work. And you've 
You're responsible to do that and you owe it to your spouse to do that. Another reason might be that you're both just being selfish. He thinks we should do, be doing it way more and she thinks we should not be doing it that much or any of y'all, you don't need that, right? And so there's just selfishness in marriage and it's just this flat out, you know, five and three-year-old type selfishness. It's my toy. No, it's my toy. We're 40 years old. We still sometimes act like three-year-olds. And so it could just be selfishness. It could be physical reasons. You know, babies change bodies, right? And so you've got, you know, physical issues that might be there chemically, hormonally, all these things, you know, are, are, are changing, you know? And so that's an issue. And so guys have to be empathetic to that. And at the same time, you know, we'll, we'll, let's go to a doctor. Let's figure this out. How do we overcome this? And how do we pray through this and work through this together and honor each other through this? Those are questions you should ask. Now, the reason might just be bitterness. You're just angry. You're angry at stuff that's happened. And there's unresolved issues and you've not talked about it. You've not asked for forgiveness and you've not had these conversations with each other. You've refused to talk about it with your small group leader or a godly mentor in your life. And you, know, you haven't talked to a counselor to help you walk through any of that stuff. And so it's just there. And it's just gonna be there forever until you deal with it. And you can't just exchange you know, a wife and get a new wife and there not be new problems. There's just new problems. There's always problems. And if that's yours, that's what you've got to deal with. You can't just walk away or ignore it. Another reason might just be life is, your life is just too hectic. When you're stressed out, physically your body just, you know, especially for women, just tends to shut down. And if you're just running your kids to all the sporting events and all the different things and you're running and gunning with work and you're doing all of these things, then physically you're just exhausted and mentally you just don't have the, the energy to give to your spouse. And, you know, that's, that's just not right. It's okay if your kids don't play baseball this year. <gasps> He'll be fine. She'll be fine. In fact, she might be healthier spiritually and, and physically and mentally. Um, and, and, and so for some of us, it's just this hectic lifestyle that's ruining in our marriage. And so you, you've, you've got to deal with it. You've got to make those decisions. There's a hundred different reasons. So I don't want to minimize any of those reasons. They're all, you know, real and we all have to deal with those. But when we look to the passage here, what we see is the biblical picture of how sex and marriage should be. We should be available to meet one another's needs. And the main point, I think, is that in Christian marriage, you shouldn't deprive each other of sex, period. He says in verse five, there's only one exception. And the one exception is if you together mutually decide that you're gonna fast from sex for the purpose of spiritual growth. And so for a short period of time, he says, you might decide that you're not gonna do it so that you can be focused on spiritual growth and focused on prayer together. And he says, that's the only reason. And, and here's the good thing. He doesn't say you should do that. He doesn't say you ought to do that. He's saying essentially that's the only reason why you shouldn't be having regular sex in your marriage. That's important. What's actually happening is that one spouse is depriving the other person. They're abstaining in their marriage. And Paul says that's not good. Depriving him or her is wrong. And so if, if you deprive them sexually, then you're open, opening them up, Paul says, to temptation from Satan. 
right? So what happens if one person in in marriage is not available sexually? What does he say in verse five? He says, you better come back together because if you don't come back together, Satan will tempt you. And because of your lack of self-control, you're gonna struggle, right? So he says, don't, don't do that. You've got to be careful. You've got to come back together. So I'll, I'll say it like this. It, it kind of rhymes, but temptation grows when availability slows. That's essentially what Paul's saying. And that happens in every marriage. When the availability um, or begins to slow down, then temptation is going to grow. So if you think back on the calendar, and it's been a while, I can guarantee 100% of the men in this room are being tempted by Satan. And so that's a reality. We don't want to ignore that. Um, And their response is either they're just getting by, they're making it, or they're faking it. And faking it is a problem. It's a serious problem. Remember the Christians in Corinth at this time, They were thinking that abstaining from sex was good in marriage. And Paul says, no, you can't can't do that. That That's wrong because it's going to lead to temptation. And temptation looks different in um, a marriage for a a man and a woman. For a man, that temptation is going to look more like getting his needs fulfilled in another relationship. He's going to look and tend to scan for another relationship perhaps, or maybe he'll be tempted um, to look at pornography. And I think that's where a lot of um, struggles are happening. According to a survey conducted by the Barna Group, 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women view pornography every month. That's a lot. That's a lot of people in the room today and watching online that are looking at porn every single month. According to sociologist Jill Manning, the research indicates pornography consumption is associated with six six reasons. Number one reason on her list, marital distress. So it's an issue. The harmful effects of pornography, we could talk about this all day, but I'll just say this. When neuroscientists study the brain using MRI technology, uh, consistent pornography use erodes the brain's gray matter, which leads to a brain that looks uh, very similar to a brain that is addicted to heroin. That's how damaging it physically hurts your brain. So single guys right now, teenagers, single guys, college, those that are engaging in that on a consistent basis, it's not only damaging you spiritually, it's it's really damaging your brain uh, physically. Not only that, but it is, it's ruining your concept and idea of what sex should look like in marriage. Because you're going to walk into a relationship and you're going to think that my relationship should be looking like what I've been watching. And that's not reality. It's, a, it's fake. It's a show. And it is, it, it is an abomination to God. And so what you have to realize is what may feel good in the moment is actually hurting you in such desperate ways that you can't even comprehend it right now. And so I would encourage you to, you've got to stop. In fact, one of the number one struggles of your future marriage is your current use of pornography. And perhaps one of your, if not number one, the the, the most damaging part of your relationship right now, men, is your use of pornography. And you think that your wife doesn't even know about it. And what's really, really like disturbing 
is that a man can get so used to pornography that then he doesn't even want his wife sexually. That's a shame. That's when you know you've, you've crossed the line in a really dark, dark area. And the scripture would, would call you to repent, to turn from that, right? Drop it, cold turkey, walk away from it. Um, love your spouse, honor your spouse, honor God with your eyes. You can do this. You can get accountability, covenanteyes.com. You can get small group leaders. You can get godly men in your life to give you some, some uh, accountability in this way. Go see a counselor. Uh, take the steps necessary in order to overcome such a damaging, damaging addiction. Or, or you, you, you probably don't call it an addiction. You probably just call it scrolling social media. Whatever it is, um, God would call us to, to remove that. It's one of, the, one of the, the greatest things that you'll ever do is clear your head and your mind. It, 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 it'd be equal to an alcoholic um, stop uh, drinking and all of a sudden their mind and the poison that's been in their body and in their minds and been controlling them is now freeing them. Yeah. How can we, how can we change the Christian bedroom? How can we heat up the Christian bedroom? Well, I would say remove the impurities from your life and your marriage, number one, porn being included. But then let me close with three things quickly. The next thing I would say is, husbands, if you wanna heat up the Christian bedroom, you've gotta begin to affirm her appearance. Affirm her appearance. And maybe just, maybe I should have just used the word affirm her. Just affirm her. Affirm her as a mom, affirm her career, affirm her appearance, affirm her character, affirm everything about her life, right? And, and, and encourage her and, and, and let her know that you, with your, with your words, love her in that way. I love what Proverbs 16, 24 says, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. It is so true, right? Affirm your wife, uh, let her know all the many ways that you love her and all the many uh, ways that she's just doing incredible in life, right? So affirm her, affirm her, use your words, use your words, talk to her and affirm her. And then I would say, ladies, wives, embrace his words. I know the temptation is to say, what do you want? <laughs> I know the temptation might be to say, oh, that's not true. Oh, whatever, stop it. Seriously, it is, it is a sign of maturity to be able to receive a compliment. It's a sign of, 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 of assurance in your own identity in Christ to be able to say, thank you, thank you. Just, you might just practice that. Thank you, right? So husbands affirm her appearance, wives embrace his words. Secondly, husbands work on the approach. <laughs> I mean, you gotta work on the approach. You know, the, the head nod and the eyebrow raise, huh, huh? That's not enough, right? It's not enough just to walk out of the shower naked and go, here I am, right? That is not enough, despite what you might be thinking. Men are like microwaves, women are like crock pots, right? <clears throat> Men heat up pretty quick, takes ladies a while. 
And so I think it's important that that every single one of us as men know what our wife's spiritual love language is. And so um, if you've not read that book, if you don't know anything about it, look it up. But, you know, it could be gifts, it could be acts of service, it could be quality time, it could be words of affirmation, it could be physical touch. One of those fives is the way that she's going to receive love. And so whatever that way is, you've got to affirm and you've got to approach in that area. And that's a consistent uh, uh, thing that you, you work on and that you have to do, right? And so work on that approach. And then ladies, I, I would say, make any approach. <laughs> We're gonna appreciate anything. <clears throat> and I know it's funny, but I'm not trying to be funny. Like I'm, it's actually serious. <laughs> And, and, and for, the, for some couples in the room, like this would, this would change everything. Because for a man, like all my friends, every guy friend that, 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 that I know well, every single one of them, their love language is physical touch without question. And so when there is no physical touch in the relationship um, and, and, and they are the only ones that initiate then there is a, a, a feeling that I just don't feel loved. I, I don't feel love. And that is a hard place for, for a guy to, to be in, right? And it's the same thing, ladies, whatever it is your love language is, you might say, I don't feel loved. I, we, yeah, it works both ways. And so that's why we have to figure out those love languages and that's why we, we invest in them. And then finally, husbands, touch her heart. Touch her heart. How do you touch her heart? Well. I find so many men just, um, they just aren't kind to their wife. They're harsh with their wife. They're mean, um, they're, they're ornery, they're uh, emotionally distant, right? In order to touch her heart, you actually have to have a conversation with her about her day. And you have to hear the drama with her friends and the drama with her family. And you actually have those conversations and you actually listen and you actually are engaged and you're not just looking at your phone while that happens. Like this is how you touch her heart, right? You, you show her that you are concerned and you, and you care. And I know this is like, are we in kindergarten again? But, but for men, it's like, whoo, we forget all that. It's like, if you don't wanna talk about golf and fishing, then I'm out, I'm out, right? But as Christian men, like, like this is the direction we have to continually work ourselves. And then finally, then I'll close. And again, not trying to be funny, but touch him anywhere. <laughs> Men, touch your heart. Ladies, anywhere is going to be great. And, and, and I say this, and, and, and I'm saying, hold a hand, rub a shoulder, um, you know, put your hand on his shoulder, put your hand on his back, uh, put your hand on his knee. All of these signs, are, all of these ways physically are ways that men um, feel love. And so, and so, when you think about the statistics of marriage, you, you look at it and you know, you've read the stats, 50% of marriages end in divorce. And you think about, is it possible? Some of you are thinking, is it possible for our marriage to be great? And I would say 100%, absolutely it is possible. But I would also warn you, it's unlikely that it's gonna be great if you do what everybody else around you is doing. Because what all your other friends are doing, 
and how they're treating each other and the way that their you know, daily schedule and, and week to week schedule looks like and how they talk to each other and, 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 and how they interact with other friends. If you do what they do, chances are not great that it's gonna, it's gonna get better. But if you turn to the word of God and you turn to Jesus and you submit your life to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I don't know why I have to do this. I don't get why she needs this. And I don't understand how it's all gonna work out if I do this. And I don't even know if it's gonna work if I do this, but I'm gonna submit to your way of life and, and what you call me to do. And if that's your attitude, and then you say, because of my faith in you, Jesus, I'm, I'm gonna actually make some changes. I'm gonna do things differently. It's gonna be a little hard. It's gonna be very challenging. But you know what? I trust you, Jesus. I'm gonna trust you in this. That is your spiritual act of worship. And when you do that, you go against what everybody else is doing, right? So you're in church, you're in a small group, you're in the word of God, you're praying together. You know, you're, you're reading books on marriage. You're actually engaging in how to grow myself spiritually. You do that, then, then the 50% begins to decrease greatly. Right? And so no matter where you're at, I wanna give you hope today. It can get better, but you will be required to take steps of growth today. Let me pray for you. Father, Jesus, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the fathers in the room. Pray blessing upon them today. Ask God that you would encourage them, but we've also challenged them. Lord, may you be honored in the direction of our lives today that we would make changes and we would begin to, to, to just something would be birthed in our heart and in our life. God, that we would begin to do things different. And God, that you would begin to grow us in a way that would challenge us and bring us closer to him. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like the video and leave a comment. And we also encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss a post from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, just head to our website by going to foothillschurch.com or by clicking the link in the description below.